campus worship. And then I want to share with you a quote from author, uh, uh, a, uh, a Dutch uh, priest and author and writer. His name is Henri Nouwen. And this is what he said about joy. He says, joy is what makes life worth living. But for many, joy seems hard to find. They complain that their lives are sorrowful and depressing. What then brings the joy we so much desire? Are some people just lucky while others have run out of luck? Strange as it may sound, we can choose joy. Two people can be part of the same event, but one may choose to live it quite differently from the other. One may choose to trust that what happened, painful as it may be, holds a promise. The other may choose despair and be destroyed by it. This morning, we are talking about God. Revolutionary, I know, right? A sermon that talks about God. Never heard that one before, Sean. No, I, what I mean by that is that we're, we're talking about how God is the great joy giver. We're going to talk about how God can give us joy and how we can choose to have joy in the midst of difficult trials and tests of our faith and struggles and situations. And the way we can have joy, the way we can choose joy is by focusing on God's power and on his presence and on his promises to us. So when we have God's presence in our lives, we can have real joy. Uh, we have been going through some psalms this summer in a series called Psalms in the Key of Life. And we've talked about how different, the different psalms that we've looked at uh, impact our lives and how they speak to our condition and how they talk about real life. And, and I believe that sometimes we kind of gloss over the psalms or we think of them as, a, as really nice songs that the Old Test, from the Old Testament that people used to sing. And, and they're full of praise and worship to God. But I believe that the psalms are, are so much more that there are, they speak of real life and human emotion and, and the things that we go through and, and how we can um, express what we go through to God. Um, in, in a much better way. We've looked at psalms that talked about worry and fear and anxiety and how when we're scared we can go to God and we can turn to God and, and express our fear to Him. Uh, we looked at psalms that talk about uh, real life and, and how we are to live. Uh, we've talked about songs that, that praise uh, uh, songs and psalms of praise and worship and how we worship the Lord and how we should worship God because God is great and He is greatly to be praised. Um, so we've looked at various psalms, and today's psalm is, is a psalm about joy. It, it's a psalm about having joy, uh, and, you know, I, I believe that, um, that joy is much more than just emotion. Uh, it is much more than just a feeling. The, the joy is something that we can choose to have. Uh, joy is transcendent. Joy goes beyond, and it goes above our situations and our circumstances. Joy goes beyond the, the difficulties of life. Uh, that we can have joy even when we're unhappy. And for a lot of people, joy and happiness kind of get, uh, get equated. But I don't believe that that is true. I don't believe that joy and happiness are the same thing. Hey, 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 let me tell you a little story. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, let me define happiness for you. Happiness is a cookie. Right? I've talked to you about this before. Happiness is a cookie. And you eat the cookie and the cookie's gone and now you're not happy anymore. Because... You don't have a second cookie, and where, where'd the other cookie? Why can't I have another cookie? And uh, you know, and especially with little kids, you know, you talk to little kids and you say, um, "Can I have a cookie?" And you say, "Sure, you can have a cookie." And can I have another cookie? No, you can't have another cookie. Why? Why? Why can't I have another cookie? Because you can't have another cookie. Now they go from happy to sad. 
Now let me tell you about joy. Joy is something that goes beyond your circumstances, goes beyond your situation. Joy is something that that it, it, it's it's like a memory, it, it, but it's something to look forward to. Um, this last week we went on vacation, right? And some of you you know know about that that we were on vacation. We went down to my father-in-law's house to uh, visit him and to spend some time just relaxing and resting. And and one of the days we went out to um, the farm. We went out to the country. Okay, we're surrounded by cornfields and saw. A we actually got spritzed on by a crop duster. So if I grow a third arm or something, you know exactly what happened when I was on vacation. Uh, it's because I got uh, fertilized by a crop duster. Uh, so we're way out in the country, way out in the sticks. And so we're out in the country, and uh, my uh, wife's uh, nephew, uh, no, my wife's cousin is uh, six years old. And he happens to mention that he gets to drive their bobcat. They're skid steer. It's the thing. It's six, he's six years old. And immediately, my son says, I want to drive the bobcat. He's seven years old. Now, me, being the cool dad, says, <laughs> I don't think so. There is no way, no, no, no way that the, I know my son, and I know what he's like, and there is no way that he is going to drive this thing. This is a piece of machinery. Uh, he can't, he still has training wheels on his bicycle, and there's no way he's going to drive a, you know, one-ton piece of gasoline-powered machinery. Oh, it's okay. He can do it. You know, it's no problem. You know, my little guy does it all the time. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. All right. You want to drive it? You can drive it. I'll show him how to do it. It's easy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay, so he gets inside, and uh, if you've seen my video, it's on Facebook. I took video of him doing this. The smile on his face, the look on his face was sheer, unadulterated joy, like the greatest thing. He literally told me after, Dad, that was the greatest four minutes of my life. The greatest four minutes of my life. I'm like, you have a lot of living left to do, and, uh, and if, you if you drive the Bobcat again, you probably won't do that. But uh, he nearly destroyed my Hyundai, um, but that's neither... Here and over there. But the, the look on his face was this, 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 and, and he was, and it wasn't like when it was over that he was done and he's like, oh, I'm so sad. No, he was still bubbly and giddy and full of joy because of the experience, because of what he had done and what he had gone through, um, that there was nothing that was going to bring him down from that. Still talks about it. And that was last week. But it was like the greatest moments of his life. There's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness says, you know, I have a cookie, but now I'm sad because I don't have the cookie. Joy is like, I am driving a bobcat, you know, and it's just awesome. And joy doesn't change. Joy lasts and lasts and lasts. Joy is a byproduct of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, Paul wrote, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That the work of the Holy Spirit, one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to produce joy in our lives. James chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 tells us that we can have joy, we can choose to have joy even in the midst of trials and tests. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That there is a good byproduct, there is a good result of tests and trials of our faith 
that it produces perseverance. It strengthens our faith. The tests and the trials that we go through actually strengthen, serve to strengthen our faith. Um, you know, I was reading an, an article uh, in the uh, Daily Telegraph uh, from London last night uh, on the Internet. And a friend of mine had posted it on Facebook. And uh, it was about Christians who live in the Iraqi city of Mosul. And this article talked about a deadline. And the deadline was yesterday. And the deadline was this. Either flee the city or convert to Islam, pay a protection tax, or die. So basically you can either leave home forever or you can convert to Islam. If you choose not to convert to Islam, then you have to pay a protection tax to keep from dying, to keep them from killing you for not converting. You have to pay a protection tax. And uh, my friend Brandon looked it up uh, between services and what, how much that protection tax is. It turns out it's about $70 a day per person just to keep them from killing you for not becoming a Muslim. So you either pay the protection tax or they kill you. This happened yesterday. Okay, this is going on in our world now. This is the deadline. And when I say deadline, I mean deadline. It was yesterday. Tens of thousands of Christians have fled the city of Mosul because of this kind of persecution. And that is real persecution. How do you say to somebody in that situation, choose joy? Because joy is transcendent. Joy goes beyond circumstances. Joy goes beyond situations. Joy is eternal. Joy is not temporary. Those situations, those circumstances, that persecution, that's temporary. Because they can't take away the eternal that God has prepared for us. So how do you tell somebody in that situation to choose joy? You know, we think we're persecuted when, we, when they put hamburgers on, uh, pickles on our hamburgers. Oh, man, can't they get anything right? Why does this always happen to me? Damn, pickles on my hamburger. And yet we have brothers and sisters around the world who are dying for their faith. We don't know what persecution is. Not to that extent. So how can we choose joy? How can we, I mean, we, I'm not saying that we don't have hard times. I'm not saying that we don't go through tests. I'm not saying that we go, don't go through trials. We do. I mean, it's hard to imagine the people of Iraq and what they're going through when we live in America where we have the freedom to worship as we choose. How can they choose joy? It's because God is the great joy giver. And God never changes. He does not abandon his people. He does not leave us or forsake us. Even in the midst of persecution and death, his power and his presence are able to give us joy in the most dire of circumstances, in the hardest of times. He is faithful to his promises, the Bible says, and his promises are always yes in Christ Jesus, according to Scripture. Um, we may never have to face what they're facing in Mosul. We may never have to face that and I pray that that's the case, that we never have to face that. But if we do, we can still choose joy. And we do have hard times in our lives. We do face tests of our faith. And it could be a, a physical uh, hardship. It could be a, a health uh, hardship. Uh, it could be an emotional pain, emotional distress. Um, it could be uh, some kind of financial difficulty. 
and, and our faith is tested. And when our faith is tested, the question is, will we choose to focus on God and not our circumstances? Because that's the secret to joy, is focusing on God and not on our circumstances. To focus on Jesus and not on one's temporary situations and circumstances. Because in reality, they are only temporary. In the light of eternity, they are just a drop of a bucket, drop in the bucket. Grab your Bible, turn to Psalm 126. If you, don't, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one right out of the pew in front of you. Psalm 126 is where we're at this morning. And grab your bulletin that you should have gotten on your way in and turn to the third page to the handy-dandy outline. And we're going to fill in some blanks starting right now. The first blank on your outline is what God has done. What God has done. Look at, with, look at uh, Psalm 126 with me, verses 1 through 3. The title of the psalm is a song of ascents, and we'll talk about that and what that means in just a second. Verse 1 says, When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. A song of ascent. Well, these songs of ascents, uh, they make up, there's about 13, 14, 15 of them uh, in the Psalms. And these songs of ascent, uh, I, the very first psalm we looked at this summer was Psalm 121, and we talked about the songs of ascent then. These were the songs that, they were traveling songs. They were the songs that people sang on their way to Jerusalem uh, when they were going there for one of the three major feasts. And so they would sing these songs on their way. The hooves on the camel go up and down. Up and, no, you don't think so? I don't think so either. Um, but they didn't have buses, so something had to go up and down. Um, how many of you sang songs when you went on vacation as a kid? Okay, yeah, that's, that's, that's what these are. These are the songs that the people sang when they were going to their feasts. And these are songs about God, including Psalm 126. It is a song of ascent. Uh, and they would ascend up toward the hill of Jerusalem uh, for, these fe for these feasts. Now, in 586 B.C., uh, the Babylonians came in and they conquered Judah and they captured the city of Jerusalem. And they carried off uh, the Jews into exile. They, they were captive and they were carried off into exile. Now, uh, once the Medo-Persians came in and conquered the Babylonians, they allowed the Jews to come back to Judah. And when they came back to Judah, uh, there was much rejoicing. Uh, there was a great joy in the hearts of the people. And that's what this first verse is all about. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. And you hear what uh, the psalmist says about what happens when the captives return. He says, we were like men who dreamed. Um, uh, the, when the Lord brought them back, we, our mouths were filled with laughter. We were singing songs of joy. Uh, even the surrounding nations took note of what God had done when they said the Lord has done great things for them. And then the psalmist re, uh, confirms that in verse 3. He says the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. They are filled with joy because of what God had done in the past. When we focus on our present situations, when we focus on our present circumstances, we cannot have joy. When we're going through a hard time, when our faith is being tested and we're going through the trials and the tribulations of life and we focus on those in the presence, we will not have joy. We are rather, the first thing we need to do in order to choose joy is we need to focus on what God has done in the past. We need to see the ways that God has provided for us in the past, the way God has taken care of us in the past. 
The question is, will you remember what God has done in the past? Well, what has God done for me in the past? You may ask that question. What has God done for me? Well, he saved you. He's forgiven you. He's rescued you. He sent his son Jesus to die for your sins. And he went to the cross and he suffered and he died for you so that you could have eternal life, so that we could have the promise of eternity. Jesus died for us uh, so that we can have this eternal relationship with God. Would you do me a favor? Turn to someone right now and say, Jesus died for me. I want to hear it. I want to hear you say it. Turn to somebody and say, Jesus died for me. Yeah, that's true. That's exactly what happened. Jesus died for you. And nothing can change the fact that Jesus died for you. And if you will believe in him, if you will repent from your sins and confess him as Lord and be baptized, you will be saved. And nothing can change that. Nothing can separate you from God's love. The Bible says there is nothing in heaven and on earth. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Turn to somebody now and say, nothing can separate me from God's love. And that's true. That is the true promise. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Think about how God has come through for you in the past. He has healed you from various diseases. He has provided for you in your times of need. He has comforted you when you were hurting and you were mourning. He has filled you with his Holy Spirit. God has done great things in your life. Turn to somebody now and say, God has done great things in my life. Do you believe it? Can you say amen? God has done great things in our life. And if you will focus on what God has done in your life, you will have joy and you can count your blessings and have the joy of knowing that God has done great things in your life. But wait, there's more. The second blank on your outline is what God will do. What God will do. Look at verses four through six. The psalmist writes, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. This is a prayer. Verse three, uh, verse 4 is a prayer to restore the fortunes of Israel. Uh, the Negev was a desert. And he says that when the Lord restores their fortunes, it will be like streams in the Negev. In the, in the dry season, the streams of the desert dry up. But in the rainy season, there's so much water that they overflow their banks. And the psalmist is praying that God would bless his people in such a way that it would be uh, an overflowing abundance of blessings. That he would restore their fortunes like water that overflows the banks of a stream. Um, a, this is a prayer for God's people uh, that God would bless them. And then he uses an agricultural illustration to talk about joy. When the captives were carried off in 586 B.C., there was no one left behind to till the fields, to, to farm the fields. And so the fields dried up, uh, weeds overgrew them and grass overgrew them, and there was, there was nobody uh, to till the fields or to work the fields uh, and to make the, uh, the, the plants grow. And so the ground wasn't ready for them to come back and to be farmed again. And so it says that those who go out uh, to sow seeds, we're going to sow with tears because it was hard work and they had to persevere and they had to press on through the difficult times uh, of planting these fields again. Um, but he says that the farmers that go out in tears are going to return, they're going to return with joy. That though they go out to sow with tears, they're going to come back with great joy. Why? Because there's going to be a great harvest. That God is the God of the harvest. 
that God is going to provide a great harvest of food uh, after they go out, and that will bring great joy to the people, that there would be uh, this great harvest that God was going to do. So if the people would persevere through the hard times of planting, God would provide a great harvest of joy. In Matthew 9, 37 and 38, Jesus talked about a great harvest. He says this, he says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. One of the great joys of being a Christian, one of the great joys of following Jesus is telling people about your faith. It's helping other people learn about Jesus. It's helping other people follow Jesus. And when you share your faith with somebody or you invite someone to church and say, hey, you know, you should come to church with me. I think you'd really like it. We have a great time there. We rock out on a Sunday morning. We have uh, messages that make sense to your life. And, you know, when you have that opportunity to invite somebody to come to church and, and hear the gospel and, and they become a follower of Jesus and they get baptized and, and uh, they put their faith and trust in Christ, that's an awesome feeling. It is a joyful feeling to know that you had a part in that, that God used you and by his grace he saved somebody and they get to go to heaven for all eternity. They get to have the joy of, of knowing Jesus in their life here on earth. And to be a part of that is an amazing thing. It brings an indescribable joy to be able to tell somebody about Jesus Christ, to know that God used you in someone's life, that God used you in the harvest field to bring somebody to Christ. I want you to do me a favor. I'm going to take 10 seconds and do this. I want you to think of somebody right now who needs to know Jesus, somebody that you know who needs to know Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that person right now. We're going to take 10 seconds and pray for that person right now. So I just want you to pray a simple prayer. Lord, help me help somebody. Uh, help me help this person know Jesus. Can you do that for me? Take 10 seconds real quick. Thank you. You see, that person needs to know Jesus, and God wants to use you to help them get to know Jesus. You are an ambassador for Christ. You are a missionary for Jesus Christ. You know, I'm thankful for Eldon and Sue Potts who go to the Philippines, and, and uh, they support the, uh, the preachers over there, and, and they send money over there, and they go over there, and they work over there. You know, I'm thankful for missionaries who go overseas and they, they do that hard work on the front lines of telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ. But guess what, folks? They're not the only missionaries in this room. You're a missionary. You're an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Everywhere you go, you are to be telling people about Jesus. Everywhere we go, we are to be making disciples uh, of people who don't know Jesus. We need to be making disciples, uh, teaching them to, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that God has commanded us to do. We are called to make disciples of all nations. And that's every single one of us. It's not the missionaries who go overseas. It's not the preacher who gets up on stage. It's every believer. It's every follower of Jesus. It's every disciple multiplying and making more disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what we are called to do. We are workers in the fields. And we are called to spread the good news of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. You see, now, Jesus also, he talked about the great harvest field. But he also talked about grief turning to joy. In John chapter 16, verses 20 through 22, Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. He's talking about when he dies and, re and is resurrected. 
He says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. He's talking to his disciples about how he was going to die and how they were going to grieve and how they were going to be sad and sorrowful. But he promised to rise from the grave and that when he did, their grief would turn to joy. They would be filled with joy because he had risen from the dead. And Jesus did rise from the grave. He did come back to life. He is alive. He ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father, reigning in power and glory. And he is coming back. One day he is going to come back to take us to our heavenly home, to be with him forever, just as he said he would. This is God's promise. This is what God will do. Jesus is going to come back and take us home. And when we see him, we will be filled with joy. But until that time, until then, we can rejoice in God's promises. We can rejoice in the promises that God has made to love us and never leave us, to provide for us and never abandon us, to forgive us and to forget our sins, to heal us whether it is in this life or in the next, we'll be healed. To send Jesus back for us, to take us home. And though we may have difficult situations and difficult circumstances in this life, we can choose joy. And that's what this whole sermon is all about. It's about God, our joy giver. Are you choosing joy today? Or are you stuck in the muck of joylessness? You know, there are so many reasons for us to rejoice as followers of Jesus. We can count our blessings till the cows come home, and they'll come home eventually. But we can count our blessings and over and over again. We need to shift our focus from what is happening now in the present to what God has done in the past and to what he has promised to do in the future. We need to remember that we may have hard times, and yes, we often do. We have difficult days. We have trials and tests and tribulations. God is strengthening your faith through those hard times. May, we may have struggles and situations that we don't like and things that don't go our way, but God is working everything out for good just as he has promised he would do. We may have pain and heartache that nobody knows about. You may be sitting there this morning going, nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody knows what I, how I hurt. Nobody knows how I feel. You may have these uh, feelings of pain and loneliness, God will never abandon you. God will never leave you lonely. He hears your cries day and night. You may feel like everyone else has abandoned you. God will never abandon you. God loves you and he cares for you. Every single, right there, right where you are, right now, God is loving you and he is caring for you. So how will you respond? What is your next step? Maybe your next step is your first step. Maybe it's the step that you need to take to follow Jesus. And you say, you know what? I believe that Jesus died for my sins, but I've never turned to him for forgiveness. I've never asked him to forgive me. I've never confessed my faith. I've never been baptized. You can do that today. That's one of the things we, we offer an invitation every single Sunday. That if today is the day that you need to follow Jesus, you can do that today. You can come. We've got warm clothes. We've got warm water. Today can be your day. Maybe your next step is you need to choose joy. Maybe you need to say, you know what? I have been stuck in the muck and mire of joylessness for far too long. I have been miserable, and I have been making everybody around me miserable. I have let life get me down for far too long. 
And you know what? It is hard to choose joy in the hardship and in the pain. But if we will remember, if we will remember what God has done in the past and what he has promised to do in the future, how he has never left us, abandoned us, or forsaken us, and how he has always been there for us in the past, and how he has promised that he will be there for us in the future, we can choose joy. And we choose joy when we turn to the great joy giver.